Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. A Seinfeld episode titled The Engagement was first aired back in 1995. In that show, Jerry and his friend George decide it's time to grow up and treat the women they date with a little more respect. So that conversation ends, and then Jerry decides to talk about the matter matter further with his friend Kramer. So Jerry's in his apartment, and Kramer's standing beside him. Jerry turns to Kramer and says, Well, I had an interesting lunch with George. And we were talking about our lives, and we realized that we're kids. We're really not men. Kramer leans in and says, and then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? And Jerry says, yes, we did. Kramer says, well, let me tell you something. There isn't. (laughs) There isn't, Jerry replies with a concerned look on his face and says, Kramer, absolutely not. What were you thinking about, Jerry? Marriage? Family? They're prisons. They're man-made prisons. You're doing time. You get up in the morning and she's there. You go to bed at night and she's there. And you've got to ask permission even to go to the washroom. (laughs) Kramer mocks the imaginary wife saying with a sneer, Is it okay if I go to the washroom now? Really? Jerry says. And you can forget about watching TV while you're eating. And Kramer says, and you know why? Because it's dinner time. And do you know what you do at dinner? What, says Jerry? You talk about your day. How was your day today? Did you have a good day or a bad day? What kind of day was it? I don't know. How about you? How was your day? And Kramer says, it's sad, Jerry. It's a sad state of affairs. (laughs) Jerry's horrified at the picture that's been painted And he says to Kramer, I'm glad we had this talk, to which Kramer responds, you have no idea. Now, I know that Seinfeld, back there in 1995 and today in reruns, is not a go-to source for marital advice, at least I hope it isn't. But I don't think there's any question our world today is increasingly skeptical and critical of the institution of marriage. For many people today, lifelong marriage is viewed as practically unattainable and even unnatural. After separating from her second husband, actress uh, Scarlett Johansson expressed her doubts about marriage this way. I think the idea is romantic. It's a beautiful idea. But I don't think it's natural to be monogamous. It's a lot of work. Rocker Rod Stewart has this to say about marriage. I think marriage vows should be changed because they've been in existence 600 years back in the time when people only lived to be 35. So they only had to be with each other 12 years and then they'd die anyway. But now it's a a big commitment because you're going to be with someone 50 or so years, and that's impossible. The vows should be written like a dog's license that has to be renewed every year. 
May I suggest to you today that actors and actresses and rockers may not be the best place to go if you're looking for marital advice. Well, then where do you go? Pastor Peter Scazzaro was right on when he observed everything in our society pushes us away from God's original intention for marriage. And that's what I want to talk to you today. What is God's original intention anyway? So I want you to come with me now. We're going to take a look in Matthew chapter 19 at what Jesus had to say about marriage and divorce. Now, it would seem like Jesus' words are respected all over our culture, unless he says something people don't like. But here he's speaking about marriage and divorce, Matthew 19. It's on the screen. I shall read it to you. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Let me just pause there to say that the Pharisees were not remotely interested in the answer to the question. They were only using the question because they were trying to trap Jesus. I'm making the assumption this morning that you are interested in the answer to Jesus' question. So let's keep on going. They were trying to trap him. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Verse 4, Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So now let's take a little closer look at what Jesus had to say about this matter of marriage and divorce. And here's the first thing I would say. Jesus lays out, first of all, he lays out God's plan, and God's plan is great. And what exactly is that plan? Well, I can summarize that in just a few short sentences. And here's the first. It appears before you. Marriage was the plan from the beginning. Jesus said in verse 4, we just read it, from the beginning God made them male and female. So you see, Jesus takes us right back to the, to the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. And of course, Genesis, first book of the Bible, that means beginnings. Chapter 1, verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see it? That's part of the creation story. 
in the ages now, before day six of creation, when he made man and woman, God conceived a plan in his mind for his highest creation, that would be you, man and woman, together in a relationship. Understand this now. Marriage wasn't some adjustment that God made because things weren't going so good. Marriage was not an accommodation. It wasn't for God an afterthought. God, uh, the, God's plan for marriage wasn't an oops, guess this isn't working, I be, guess I better do this instead. Hear me, God in great love, in his infinite wisdom, planned marriage, one man, one woman, from the beginning, united in a marriage. So that's the first statement. Marriage was God's plan from the beginning. Here's the next one. Marriage is a good thing. At the end of the creation story in Genesis 1, we read these words. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. And it was very good. You might say, well, good for who? Well, it was good for God. But don't you think it was good for Adam and Eve too? Picture the scene. God had just created Adam, and now he creates Eve, and he brings her to Adam and stands her in front of Adam. Can you imagine his response? Don't get too imaginative here. But there stands Eve, and Adam says, really? I like it. I like her. Can I have her? Is she mine? Good for Adam, yes. Good for Eve. But hear me today. Marriage is good for us. It works for our good. God made us, and he knows what works for us. God knows what makes us tick. He really does. A few years ago, my wife, Willow Ann, was traveling alone by car from Halifax back to our home here in New Brunswick, and she stopped for gas, and she got the tank about half full when she realized she was putting diesel fuel in the tank. Now, that would be all right, except our car is not a diesel. And she really didn't know quite what to do, she, so she goes inside, and the guy inside had no clue what she ought to do about either. A phone call or two resulted in this advice. Stop and fill the rest of the tank up with regular gas. And then, and he said, the car will run half and half. And as you travel, stop at every exit that has a gas sign and go in there and stop and fill it up again and keep doing that your whole trip. And she did, and the car worked better with every stop, and she arrived home. Hear me now. God knows the fuel that we run on. And the fuel of infidelity won't work. And the fuel of adultery won't work. Or promiscuity, the fuel of promiscuity, or polygamy won't work. It doesn't work for us. We'll sputter and stop. Now, I should pause here just a brief moment to say God gives some people the gift of singleness. And for some, that seems to be a fuel that they run on well and are happy and content. 
That needs to be said, but this is a sermon about marriage. And so I remind you of this, marriage is a good thing. Here's the next statement I want to make about God's great plan. Marriage is for life. Verse 5, and he said, the plan, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Do you see it? God put man and woman together. And this great plan, this plan that will result in the most good for both man and woman, the most good, when I say the most good, I mean the most happiness, I mean the most fulfillment, is that they stay together for life. So that's God's plan. It's great. Now comes the but. There is a but here. Sorry, but it's, look what I have next. God's plan is great. But man's propensity, well, I'm afraid it's grim. It's sad. Now, hear me now. When I say man, I mean mankind. So I'm talking to you ladies too, not just the men. Where uh, The truth is, when I say our propensity is grim, I'm saying that we all have sinned. Romans 3.23, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And when I say all, I mean all. I mean you. I mean me. All of us. Even those of us, are you listening? Even those of us who have stayed with the one man, one, one woman, so long as you both shall live plan, even those of us have done that, God only knows the thoughts we have entertained from time to time. The only man the only man who was never tempted by a woman other than his wife was Adam. And that's because there was no other woman. <laughs> Billy Graham, undoubtedly the most prominent Christian voice of the 20th century. He was interviewed with his wife Ruth on national TV this is a little bit before the turn of the century, about 25 years ago. And the interviewer was not hostile, but he wasn't a fan of Billy Graham, obviously. And he was getting a little testy. And, and the camera zoomed in on Ruth. And the host of the show asked this question. Have you ever considered divorce even once to your husband, Billy Graham? And she said, to tell the truth, I've considered murder more often. We're fallen creatures. All of us are fallen creatures. And so man's propensity, let's face it, it's grim. Now let me give you several statements about divorce. And here's the first. Because our propensity is grim, divorce happens. It, it does. Verse 7, it's the Pharisees who remind Jesus here that divorce happens. Verse 7. Why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus replies, Moses, hear the word, permitted, not ordered, permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Yes, divorce happens, are you listening? 
but not because God's plan isn't good. Divorce happens because we're not good. We have these, we have these hard hearts, and divorce happens. Hear me, marriages don't fail. We do. God's plan, there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong with God's plan. Let's keep going. Second statement about divorce. Divorce is a deviation of God's plan. Therefore, it's, it's a bad thing. And we take you back to verse 8 again. Verse 8, Moses permitted divorce, but it was not what God originally intended. No, it's a deviation of God's plan, and therefore it's bad. Now hear this. It isn't bad. Divorce isn't just bad because God makes the rules, and if God says that it's bad, then it is bad. That's not why it's bad, although that would be reason enough. That's like your dad and mom saying to you, because I said so. Well, divorce is bad. God says it's bad because God knows that it's bad for us. It damages us. No exceptions. We have three children. Two of them have experienced divorce. And so I've had a front row seat and I have observed that divorce is devastating for both man and woman. And it's devastating for the children of divorce. And it's devastating for the families of divorce. To separate what God has joined together involves a tearing. And you can't tear two things apart without damaging them. It can't happen. In 2014, the singer Jewel and her husband Ty Murray announced their divorce. And while she was talking about this, Jewel called their divorce. Her words were, it's a tender undoing. That then in, she went on to say, that described the divorce as an enormous and heartbreaking step. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, tender undoing, enormous and heartbreaking step, that does not sound like a tender undoing to me, and it doesn't sound like it because it isn't. Divorce is a deviation of our good God's great plan and therefore bad. Then Jesus' language gets even stronger, even sterner. And the next thing he says there is divorce without just cause and remarriage equals adultery. Verse 9, and I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. I don't need to explain that. You know why? It's plain. There it is. Easy to understand. I believe it was Pastor R.A. Torrey who over 100 years ago said that 99% of the meaning of Scripture lies right on the surface. And this one sure enough does. Doesn't need much explanation. We get it. But then Jesus goes on to add an exception. So let me read all of verse 9 now. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now, the word that we translate in English, unfaithful, in the original Greek sounds like this, pornea. I think you see now where we get the word 
pornography. Yes, you do. And, and that word, that original word that we translate unfaithful, refers to every kind of illicit sexual relationship. So there you have it. One may divorce a spouse when there has been unfaithfulness, sexual sin, infidelity. One is permitted to divorce their spouse. But I want you to notice here, infidelity, infidelity doesn't require divorce. It just permits it. Ninety-nine percent of the times, and maybe it's higher than that, the way through is better than the way out. I attended seminary in Kentucky the years 79 through 82 and as part of my coursework I had to travel to a little church 20 miles south and do what was called supervised ministry down there and I would go down and go visiting with one of the men in the church. His name was Roger. He was 33 and he was in his third marriage. I wasn't asking about any of that but one night as we traveled he just come out with this. The problems, he said, the problems I have created in marrying three times are much worse than the problems I was facing in my first marriage. The way through is better than the way out. I've been pastoring a long time. I've seen this over and over. If the guilty spouse, when I say the guilty spouse, if one person, one of the parts of the marriage, man or woman, has committed adultery and are truly repentant, that marriage can be better and stronger than it ever was before by God's grace. Some of you have trouble believing that. It's true. So now we've, we've seen it this morning. We've seen God's plan, and God's plan is great. And then we've taken a look at man's propensity and we've seen that indeed it is grim. And where does that leave us? Here's where it leaves us. Now we're left with God's provision and its grace. Simply put, regardless of your situation or circumstance, regardless, God's grace is available for you. It was about 15 years ago that I had dinner with one of, those, one of those guys that appears on those popular Bill Gaither videos. Some of you know what they are. And if I spoke this man's name, there are people in this room, you'd know who he is. And uh, there's just the two of us. He had done a concert in our church that night, and then we were in Fredericton, and we went out to dinner, the two of us. And I was, he was asking about my family, and I told him about my son, Brock, who at that time was pastoring a growing church in Shediac, New Brunswick. And uh, I told this guy that Brock was divorced and remarried. And it got very quiet around that table. And he, he was very serious. He looked into my eye, and here's what he told me. You need to tell your son that he must leave that relationship that he is in, because in God's eyes it is not a marriage. For this guy, no grace, no way forward, period, end of story for my son Brock. Listen to me. God has a plan and it's great. But our propensity, it's grim. We have messed it up. But God, 
because he's a God of grace and because he loves us so much, God made a provision. God made a plan B. He really did, and it's grace. Now hear me, it's not spelled out in Matthew 19 in the scripture I just read. And the reason for that is that Matthew 19 is not an exhaustive treatment on the subject of marriage and divorce. So can I take you, can I take you briefly to two other scriptures? Don't you hate it when a pastor says briefly and then he isn't? But let me try. Let me take you briefly to two incidents in the life of Jesus just weeks after Matthew 19 where this is demonstrated. The first one is in John 4. Jesus meets a woman at a well in Samaria and uh, he says to her, go get your husband and bring him back and hear what I have to say. And she says, I'm not married. And Jesus replies, well, you've got that right. That's, it's true enough, but you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. And how does Jesus deal with this poor woman who's just totally messed up her life? You know, don't you? You don't read all about it. It's in John 4. He offers her the living water. He offers her grace. The other story, that was quite brief. John 8 is the other one. Jesus, is, Jesus now is in downtown Jerusalem and he's speaking in the temple when the Pharisees drag a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. That makes you ask, why didn't they drag the man in too, doesn't it? The Pharisees drag the woman in, caught in the act of adultery, and throw her down in front of Jesus and the Pharisees want her stoned. And the encounter ends with Jesus saying, I don't condemn you, but this lifestyle you're living is destroying you. It's not good. You need to stop it. And he gave her grace, pure grace. Jesus, then and still today, is the great grace dispenser. Isn't it awesome? And whatever your circumstance, whatever your circumstance is, grace to you. So now let me conclude briefly. Yeah, I know, it's too late for that, isn't it? Let me, let me conclu conclude briefly by answering several questions, but just quickly. Here's question number one. What about those who have stayed with God's plan, one man, one woman for life? You're still, in, you're still working the plan, but you're not really experiencing wedded bliss. Well, welcome to the club. Those who study such things say that only 9% of married people would claim that their marriages are exceptional. Philip Yancey, trying to help us understand this, listen to what Yancey says. Before marriage, each by instinct strives to be what the other wants. The young woman desires to look sexy and takes up an interest in sports. The young man notices plants and flowers and works at it asking questions instead of just answering monosyllabically, answers in monotone, syllables, one word sentences. After marriage, says Yancey, the process slows down somewhat, and then each person insists on her or his rights, each resisting, bending to the other's will. 
Pastor Brent's going to help us with that. For those of you in the 91% whose marriage is not exactly bliss, he's going to preach a sermon in February on improving marriages. Don't miss it. Question number two. What about those who cohabitate without being married? Well, simply put, you're missing God's best plan. You see, the fulfillment that I've been speaking about flows out of total commitment, one man, one woman for life. Now, maybe you're cohabitating, but you would respond, but Pastor John, we're together and we're committed. And my question is, are you? And if you are, then why not? If you're truly committed, why not gather your family and friends and make your vows in public before God? Why not? Question three. What about those who have been broken by divorce? I think it's so sad. I've seen so much of it over the years. When a man or woman limps out of a divorce, of a divorce, hurting and wounded, and they move into another relationship carrying all that baggage with them, and they doom the next relationship to failure. We have a program here at King's Church, CR, designed to help people wrestling with divorce and the hurt that comes, and it comes to all. Come. The truth is that God loves you and loves to come alongside you in your pain and comfort and heal you. Hear this. God hates divorce, but he does not hate divorcees. Question four. This is the last one. What about those who have divorced and remarried against God's plan? That's a pretty... That's a big question to arrive at almost 30 minutes into my sermon, isn't it? I'm talking to some people here. You're divorced and you were the one. You were the one mostly at fault. You would admit that. And the question becomes, should, should you leave your present marriage since it involved adultery? Hear the answer to that. No. No. I believe there is never a point where 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 does not apply. If we confess our sins, if we truly repent, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Even if your second marriage shouldn't have happened, it should not now be undone by man. I was reading this week a sermon by Mark Mitchell, and he says it better than I could. Here's the way he said it, but he's right. Real vows have been made, and a real sexual union has taken place. It's, it's a real marriage, and that, and that real covenant of marriage can be a place where the grace of God is experienced. In other words, a couple who repents and seeks God's forgiveness shouldn't think of that marriage as an ongoing adultery, even though that's how the relationship might have started. God's provision for you, God's provision for you, and for you, and for you, no matter your situation or circumstance, your situation 
It's grace. Grace on you. It's grace. It's grace. God's grace. Come on. All we like sheep have gone astray. The scripture says. We've all gone our own way. We've done things we deeply regret. But God laid on him, laid on Jesus Christ, the sins of us all. God is in the business, don't you see? God is in the business of taking great evil and doing great good. And he can do it in your life, regardless of your circumstance. My life, my life is filled with failures that God has redeemed. Is that true for you? Grace is for you.